Hey, everybody. Welcome back to A Higher Future Podcast. I'm Yubi Simignetti, and as always, joined by Dr. Nicole Gravagna. Hello, Doc. Hi, Yubi. Who do we have with us today? Oh, we have a couple of powerhouses. I'm, I'm very excited about this conversation. So as you can see, we have uh, Scott Case, otherwise known as Kal-El, otherwise known as Superman. We'll get into that whole discussion. Um, and we have Genevieve Rafla. They're both from Upside Business Travel. So Scott's co-founder and CEO. Genevieve is director of communications. And we're going to talk about entrepreneurship and, and future of work and crises and all kinds of things. So welcome to both of you. Hello, hello. Genevieve. Hello, and thank you for having us. Absolutely. I'll just echo that. Thanks for having us. <laughs> well, so let's let's talk about, um, Scott, let's talk about a little bit of your history first um, and where you came from, starting with, with the destruction of Krypton and how you got to Earth. Yeah, I definitely, my, my mother claims that I was uh, born, but later on, she's convinced that maybe that was somebody else. Um, yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm a lifelong entrepreneur. I look at the world through the lens of how do you assemble a group of people together to go attack some interesting problem and come up with novel solutions. Most of the time I bring information, technology, software, et cetera, to the table. I have a computer science and engineering background. So the combination of the two things are how I tend to get after it. And I've had a wide range of different experiences at, as the founding CTO at Priceline, where we built the products and took the company public in very short periods of time to working on uh, public health as the CEO of Malaria No More, uh, currently the chair of Network for Good, which helps, I don't know, 250,000 charities last year raised about $700 million. And, um, and now I'm the co-founder and the CEO of Upside Business Travel, which uh, speaking of crises, the last year has been fascinating as the leader of a business in the corporate travel space. And if anybody out there is planning to book a business trip, Upside.com is the place you should go. <laughs> yes, talk about that a little bit, Genevieve, and give you know, give us your background too. Um, but but yeah, talk about then you know that that the last year, the last sure, yeah, definitely. So I am Upside's director of communications. I uh, my goal in life is to make boring things irresistible and complicated things easier to understand. Uh, so I've been working as a professional communicator for most of my career. I started out at a agency called Edelman, where I was working on some big oil and energy projects. Wasn't really my, my thing. So I moved over into the small business sector, worked on some experience design at some marketing agencies, and then popped over to upside business travel when, you know, people were traveling for business. Unfortunately, we uh, have had an unforeseeable event hit us in the face and people aren't traveling anymore. So it's been a really interesting ride to not only work at a startup that's gone into becoming you know, a small company at this stage to sort of hitting that hockey stick of growth um, and then getting walloped by a pandemic. So Scott and I have been working really hard to sort of keep the lifeline on communications and marketing and make sure that people understand that Scott's not just a business travel leader, he's a leader as a whole. And it's been a fun way to engage, you know, small businesses, business owners, and entrepreneurs. So it's been a wild ride. We've we've made it through so far. Thankfully, vaccinations are rolling out. And um, we're looking forward to when people start hitting the road again, which hopefully will be sooner rather than later. 
Well, I was just on a plane and it was full. So I think it's happening. <laughs> awesome. I'm sure the experience has changed dramatically from your last business trip. There is no alcohol on the plane. That is a big difference. Wow. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm sure it'll ease back, but it is different. So Scott, I just, I want to put things into perspective for our listeners uh, quickly. It, everybody's heard of Priceline, but maybe not everyone realizes that uh, you were the founding CTO of Priceline in 1996. 1996. Like the internet was a place to fool around and put your vacation photos up on your own blog. It was not really an e-commerce hub that it is now. And, and so um, you saw that shift from the, the nothing of the internet to the huge boom of the internet to the, the dot-com crash. And, um, and then you experienced the downturn years um, it, it, in 2008. Uh, can you, and now you've seen the pandemic. So you've seen three giant crises. Did, what have you learned from that? What do you see from that? Are there patterns? <laughs> yeah, that the universe is unpredictable and um, the second law of thermodynamics is actively in, in, engaged. Um, look, I think the biggest thing for me is when you see these things a few times, you recognize that there is another side. You will get past this, whatever it is that's going on. And you know, when you're in it and we're still in it, I think there's a, a lot of people forget that we are still in an active pandemic. And, um, you know, my, my brief stint in global public health, you know, it's great that there's 2 billion people on earth that are going to get vaccines over the next 12 months. There's 4 billion people who probably aren't. And, uh, you know, we are in a giant, no kidding around pandemic that is going to you know, it's going to kill tens of millions of people before it's over. And I, I don't say that as a doom and gloom, anything. I have a lot of, um, a lot of hope and optimism for the future of humanity, but we are in one of those moments that is going to continue to be a bit of a shit show. And if you're in a, in a high income country and you have access to vaccine, your life is going to get better in a way that will be, um, that'll feel really good and be rewarding. If you're not, this is going to last a while. And, and that, that part of it is going to continue to affect the rest of us because these variants are more likely than not to punch through our vaccines and we're going to have to chase after them. So there is another side to this. That's the first thing, but it's not going to be pretty. And this one's going to be very difficult. The, the tail end of the last financial crisis had a long tail for a lot of people not just in, in, in around the world, but in the United States, the wealth gap got bigger, the, the rich got richer and the poor stayed the same. And so, you know, the, the part for me as an entrepreneur is I'll see the other side and I can get through it. And it's going to be, there's going to be lots of miserable times along the way. And there'll be some great opportunities that will emerge from it and whole new companies will get formed, et cetera. I think the big opportunity for me as I've, gotten to this stage in my career is to look at it and say, you know, don't let this you know, crisis go to waste. How do we rebuild in a much more equitable way? Yeah. And what do we need to do to think differently about the systems we put in place and the, and the process that we, that we all can benefit from? And at the same time, 
you know, the pandemic has shined a light on some of the unbelievable awesomeness that humanity has created. You know, people forget that it took like a few days for us to sequence the genetic, the genetic, the genome of, of the virus digitally transmit it to other places. They were able to recreate it in a lab. And within a few weeks, we had first candidate viable vaccines. That is unbelievable. You know, the internet didn't collapse under all of us having to go immediately online and figure out how we're going to live our lives in this way, right? You know, our 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 supply chains got disrupted, but guess what? Not getting toilet paper, not such a big deal, right? Like, yeah, so what? You couldn't get bacon for a little while. Like the overall supply chain and our ability to manage that actually was pretty robust. You know, our energy grid didn't collapse. Like there's a lot of things that are really, really positive that have come out of this and things have gotten accelerated and some of it has accelerated visibility. So I think more people are aware of those inequities. More people are seeing things that maybe would have been brushed aside, you know, 18 months ago, and now they're right in our faces again and, and where they should be, frankly. And, um, and so it's this mixed bag, like get to the other side, deal with the immediate crisis, but recognize that there's a long tail for some of these things. And I think we need to, as a society, start to pay more attention to, um, you know, how we respond to these moments in time to rebuild sort of better, faster, stronger than before to reference a 1970s TV show. <laughs> well, that was a great show. Oh, those were the days. I used to have a teacher in grade school who looked like the bionic woman. And I was like, oh. this is it. I, I never want to leave this class. Um, so I, so what's really interesting in, in, in your you know, we, we've had a couple of other discussions uh, about entrepreneurship and um, with some other guests. What's interesting, and I'm, I'm interested on your take, the because the, the pandemic and I feel like brought this, pretty much brought everybody into this isolation, this feeling of isolation. When entrepreneurs specifically have felt that, you know, since the dawn of time, um, what that that's what does that do for the future uh, of of work from an entrepreneurship perspective in 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 your minds? Like you know, does that the the fact that we all got to feel that for a year? Do you think that's bringing to the surface maybe uncovering some entrepreneurship in people who never would have even thought about it? I'll jump in for a second. So one of the things that I think was interesting when we first hit this pandemic was, pro how's this? Prior to the pandemic, Scott and I were working on a strategy where we were going to go out and travel across the country and meet up with a bunch of different CEO and business owners. We were going to host private breakfasts and talk about what was keeping folks up at night. That was the entire game. I was really jazzed and excited about it. And we weren't able to do that. And we quickly pivoted to a, a virtual format. How might we be able to bring these people together in a digital setting? It actually broke down a ton of barriers. to go. So to go on to Scott's sort of optimism train, it allowed us all to actually bring more folks together than we thought we could. The scale was there. But beyond that, I was actually able, as a non-entrepreneur, to feel the loneliness at the top that Scott always talked about. And that was the core crux of the strategy. Let's bring people together when they, when they are feeling so alone. Well, the pandemic, as you put it, we just brought that into the limelight. We were able to see that we all experienced that ourselves. And I think the vulnerability to it creates awesome opportunity because 
when you do show your vulnerable side, you see the personal life behind us and, you know, the dogs barking, the kids screaming, or a delivery shows up, you see the human behind the professional. And that's not just limited to entrepreneurs, but I think it opens up to the entire workplace. So I think that shift is actually awesome. I don't think we would have gotten here if this hadn't happened. Yeah. Was that the start of your Founders Focus event? It sure was. It sure was. Scott, I think you've held, what, almost 100 conversations to date? Yeah, when we started it, because one of my concerns to your earlier question was, there's a lot of entrepreneurs that uh, started companies that had never faced anything remotely like this. And if you think about someone who uh, started a company in 2010, and that was the first company they'd started, they'd gone through an almost a decade of nothing but up and to the right. Like everything was good, you know, and their biggest challenges were like, the unemployment rate was really low. And so hiring people was a challenge. And so the, those, the, for those people in particular, they were ill-equipped to deal with what was going to you know, hit them pretty hard. And, and I thought I was being pretty realistic and arguably even very pessimistic for me. I was like, look, this could be six to nine months. I mean, how wrong was I, right? But, but at the time, this was in like, late March, you know, we all thought, ah, we'll be out of the office for two or three weeks. Right. So the, 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 the idea that, that, you know, we needed to provide something that could provide some connective tissue for people that were going through this. And, you know, I'll just point out a couple of things. I pile on everything Genevieve said is a, is I'll just add to it. I think that the collision between work and life and having real visibility on that the rest of our lives or what are our personal lives. I've often talked to people about the illusion of balance. And that's not to say that we shouldn't take care of ourselves. In fact, we have to take care of ourselves first. But I believe as an entrepreneur in particular, you have to integrate your life. All of your priorities have to be on the table and you got to sequence them all. And to suggest at any given moment in time, one is either more important than the other in an absolute sense is to be foolish. And at the same time, to suggest that somehow at you know 5:30 the world of your work life somehow ends and your personal life begins until nine o'clock the next day is also to suggest that you're not living in reality. But you can integrate them, right? And there's been plenty of times where I think my children were on more conference calls uh, prior to you know their 15th birthday than most people in their entire lives <laughs> because they were in the back of the car when I was driving them to soccer practice. And you know what? I'm taking this call and they're going to sit there and listen. And then when we get there, I'll spend two hours coaching their soccer team. Then I get back in the car and get another conference call. And that if, I, if, if that was the cost of me being able to spend the two hours with them, so be it, right? Like it's not a big deal. And so you've got to integrate these things. And then the last thing I'll, I'll land on is there's a big difference to go to your original question, you be. There's a big difference between being alone and being lonely. Mm -hmm. I could be surrounded by 150 people and be unbelievably lonely in my own head about some problem that I'm trying to solve that I can't talk to anybody about. And sometimes it's literally there's not a single human being on earth that I can have the conversation with that doesn't have an agenda tied to it, which is why I often tell entrepreneurs, get a therapist, get a coach, get somebody that only cares about you. Because my mom's worried, my spouse is worried, my kids are worried, my co-founders worried, my employees, everybody gets fucking worried, right? And sometimes you need to be able to talk about stuff that's like, 
hi, I've got some naughty decision that needs to get made here and I'm trying to unpack it. That's a very different thing than being alone mm -hmm. and not being able to easily interact with people, give someone a hug, grieve, you know, uh, take a walk, experience each other in a live 3D environment. And, you know, we're wired as people anthropologically <laughs> to be together, <laughs> okay? <laughs> like, and, uh, so we can decide that we think this is a good proximity talking through a, a tiny little lens on a screen. It's not. And that's not me making a plug for business travel or any other types of travel. It's just that I think that we, we need to be together. And so I would separate out being alone, which is what we've been isolated and being lonely, which is a, a, they're two different things and they happen to overlap sometimes, but, but they're definitely two different classes of problem. So one of the things you just brought up, um, it's that's really food for thought and loneliness is one of the topics that is, um, I suspect we're probably just not to the other side of it yet. And it's it's hard to talk about yet. We're, we're all still suffering from it in a real way. Um, but one of the topics you just brought up was that prioritization piece. And, and you brought it up in a way that is, about prioritizing your time in the moment of, of all the things I could be doing with my time right now, which of this list should I hit? But it sounds like you have done some deep thinking about priority on a bigger scale in terms of lifelong priority. Can, can you give a little bit of overview about um, this, this concept you have of taking control of all of the projects you could be doing and you're uh, making sure you keep shiny object syndrome uh, in check? Yeah, it's unbelievably hard because when you're an entrepreneur, most of the great entrepreneurs in, are insatiably curious. And so we're constantly consuming lots of information about all kinds of different things. And um, they're all very exciting. And you want to say, wow, I've got ideas on how we could go, you know, tackle that problem or understand the problem differently or think about it another way. And it just takes a lot of discipline to sort of take that curiosity and consume it and then figure out how to channel that energy into something that um, is a focus area. So for me, um, having one, one main thing that I wake up thinking about and go to sleep thinking about as my priority from my professional life standpoint is really important. I'll pick up or I'll add two, three, four different kinds of side projects that either I'm curious about or scratch an itch for me or um, or will develop me in a very different professional way that otherwise I'm not going to get within the confines of my, in this case, as the CEO of, of Upside Business Travel and getting those other inputs and that other stimulation makes me a better leader because I'm, I'm able to create space to allow my brain to not be obsessing over the, the minutia of the day or the problem of the moment that's in the business and um, oftentimes it will bring new ideas to me. So having carving off some space to do things that aren't related to that primary project is an important way of just doing a better job as a leader overall. I think when it comes to the rest of life, I have failed plenty of times to set expectations perfectly with my family. Um, I've gotten way better as I've gotten along the way. I think I'm, I'm a thousand times better today than I was 20 years ago. Um, and I've made plenty of unbelievably boneheaded, stupid mistakes as part of it. 
but I've realized that 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 probably the most important thing is is setting clear expectations with everybody um, that you're involved with. So, you know, if if I get a phone call, and this has been true for 20 years, from you know a an, a very important investor, and it's you know it's dinner time, I'm going to say, look, I can call you back in a half an hour. I, I'm sorry, I'm having dinner with my family right now, right? On the other hand, you know. If, if I'm free, I'll take the call. Like it's not a big deal, right? So it's sort of like, look, you know, prioritize things. And I think health and family should trump everything else. And so if you're, if that's an issue, it's like get that under control because you can't, especially if it's a problem, you can't, you can't be functional with chaos going on in that part of your life if you're, you know, if you're like most people. I'm sure there are people who can deal with it. I just haven't. I haven't met very many of them. And from a leadership standpoint, from our team, I want our team to be in the best possible headspace to make the decisions they need to make. And so if somebody's wrestling with something in their personal life, go take care of that first and foremost. And if you've got responsibilities and you've set expectations in that same realm, you've got to fulfill them because it's going to be a psychological drag on you and we're going to pay a price for it one way or the other. Um, And so... I think those things are are really important. Are there times when you know I've had a, a you know a kid show up and say hi you know would you like to spend you know an hour playing Xbox with me you know in the middle of the afternoon on Tuesday when they're off their, they're off school and I'm working I gotta say no let's do it later <laughs> right like I can't do it now right you know I don't think any of my kids are particularly bad off for not getting an hour of chasing me around in Call of Duty and just killing me over and over and over again, which was really fun for them, but not so much fun for, for me. Yeah, that's a, they might need a therapist for a different reason. Oh, they got all, I mean, I think, yeah, we, you could interview them next and you could see what it's like. <laughs> Let's find out. <laughs> the children of a lunatic entrepreneur. My youngest son's bedroom was right through here. We we're all trapped here for a while. Thankfully, he's been able to go to campus. Uh, but, but boy, you know, 730 in the morning and you're a teenage boy trying to sleep and you got to listen to this guy start yapping <laughs> away. He can do a really good impression of me stringing a bunch of words together. He sort of knows what they mean, but it's very funny. <laughs> That's awesome. It's not, so it sounds like what you just said was that um, what you found works for you in the multifaceted way that you function in the world is to make sure that you say what you're going to do and then follow through with it. I mean, by you, you said it a different way by setting accurate expectations just so, so everyone can be prepared for what happens next. And, and manage them. And manage them, which, which means update happens. them when they... Look, what does that mean? Manage them, manage the expectation. Okay. Hi, we're going to do this podcast, right? We put it on the calendar, we schedule it, et cetera. You know what? I can't do it today. Right. Mm-hmm. Don't just not show up. Right. Mm-hmm. If something happened, I would have been able to say, look, I'm going to kick you an email. I'm going to send you a text message. I'm going to say, I can't do it today for whatever reason. Right. That's managing the expectation. I set one. It's not like I'm going to, I'm going to go through heaven and earth to try to get this done. We had a founders focused co-host who was supposed to be on and to his unbelievable credit, I get a message from him, a video message from him the night before we do the sessions on Tuesdays and Thursdays at one he's in New York. I get an, I get a, I pick it up the next day. It's from 11 o'clock the night before I've, I've gotten on a plane. I'm going because I've gone down to see my father who is having an emergency procedure in the hospital. But don't worry, I think the procedure is going to be, it's going to be from like 1130 to 230. And so I can still be on. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? No, 
yeah. go take care of your father. Like it, none of this is possibly, it doesn't even, doesn't even count. Like what? So that's life, right? Like you can't, don't twist yourselves in knots over this stuff. Everybody has things that come up, just reset the expectation. And if one hasn't been set, and that's some of the worst kinds, then if, if someone's asked you for something, then help them set an expectation together and say, look, I know you might need this now. Do you really need it now? Or could you get it tomorrow? Right. And so I just think most conflicts among people, and we wrote an article in Entrepreneur Magazine on this. Um, in fact, it was just published yesterday, the day before, that most conflicts happen because of expectation management. Somebody thought one thing in their head, somebody else thought a different thing in their head. And at some point those collide and it's like, well, I thought you were going to do this. It's like, no, I thought you were going to do this. And it's like, well, shit, really? Did you write any of this down? Did you, somebody set an expectation? This is actually the definition of, of conflict is that the thing you expect to happen is not what is actually happening. <laughs> That's yep. why you're a doctor. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Oh, this is it's 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 a fascinating thing how how simple it is when you put it like that. Oh, just manage the expectation. Tell people, but it sounds like some element of that is also managing that expectation within yourself. And to bring this back to the to the crisis and and crises that are, I mean, they're always put on us, e either global or local, as in in the example of. Um, your founder friend who had a family emergency to change the expectation in yourself to say, you know, I expected I was going to be able to come through with this and now I can't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Accepting, giving yourself grace and permission to accept that I don't control certain things, or even if I do control them, I've got to prioritize in a way that it's going to work. And so even if I committed to something and I could do it, Maybe something else has gotten in the way where I I just I I can't deliver on what I've committed to. And you've got to give yourself permission to accept that you're gonna to have to change sometimes. And you know, there's a pattern in in business that I I I strive for myself, and it's one that I highly recommend to to leaders, but it's true for it's true for any kind of interaction that you have and projects, et cetera. And and the, the pattern is this. I had strategy A, right? Well-formed plan. New information came in. Substantive information has me saying, mm, plan A ain't going to work anymore, right? I've got to basically turn to plan B. And plan B is the new plan. What a lot of leaders do is they forget the A and the new information part. And they just switch to B. We're now going after this mountain. But hang on a second. We were all planning on going after that mountain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just go after this one. It's like, no, 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 no. We were going after A. Something new happened. Now we got to do B. And so it's incumbent upon us when we're managing those expectations, not only the ones in ourselves, but also when we're communicating about them is to say, I know I was going to be here. I can't because of why. Most of the time you can share why. And, and so instead, we're going to do this. Right. And that's the pattern that leaders, really great leaders do unbelievably seamlessly. It's almost like you don't notice it. And I wish I was that good. I, I'm not that good. But, but when I see it happen, when I you see do. it happen, I, I look at it and go, that was so good. Wow. You really did an amazing <laughs> job. So I can, I can recognize it, but I can also recognize that what a beautiful slam dunk is and not be able to execute it. So who knows whether that's good or not. <laughs>
I will say this, Scott is the leader that does bring an entire team together on an 8.45 a.m. Zoom every single morning. And while that might make some people's eyes rolls, at the same time, it is a great way to manage those expectations, to set the strategy, explain the new information, what those inputs are, and then what are the outputs? And how do we all go as a unit to go after a certain front? So to his credit, he might not think he's doing a great job, but he absolutely is. What, what 8.45 Eastern? Yeah, 845 Eastern. We have the whole company operate on Eastern time. And so we have some people in California and the Midwest and they get up early and they start their day. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a crutch to be to be totally candid. And and the reason it's a it's a crutch is that by by using process and frequency, I've sort of made up for the um the lack of elegance in the communications that could be a much more regular and effective way of getting things into people's brains, because getting things into people's brains is really hard. There's a big difference between communications, sending information, which is what most people describe communications as, and somebody receiving it, internalizing it, and actually understanding it. Oh man, is that hard, right? <laughs> and no matter how well you know it. your audience, yeah. Man, it's like, wow. So frequency and drip is a way of increasing the probability that that stuff is going to stick. Um, yeah. But it's really hard. Communications is really difficult. So is your founder's focus of, uh, open for anyone who wants to participate? It is free. You can go to foundersfocus.com and just sign up. We'll put a note on your calendar and then we'll give you updates every week on who the co-hosts are. All right, listeners, you heard it here. You heard it here. Well, let's, okay, to, to close it out from both of you, what, what is the future of work from your perspectives? Genevieve. All right, I'll go first. I think, I think that the future of work is accepting that you honestly are what you do and who you are is also who you bring to work. And not only does the, the workplace that you're in, the culture need to accept that we're all human beings with feelings, emotions, and families, um, but you yourself as a worker need to accept that of yourself. So realign those expectations, make sure that the boss understands that you're showing up the way you're showing up, but also show up with your best self. And that requires yourself to give yourself some space. Awesome, awesome. All right, Scott. So everything Genevieve said is spot on. I think that the, the pandemic has accelerated that shift. I think it was happening well before and like a lot of other trends. I think the trends of, you know, empathy in the workplace, frankly, talking about mental health and, and our families and the challenges that we all face as individuals as an acceptable part of who we are and that it's it we need to we need to bake that into how we build our businesses and i think we'll all collectively be much much better for it when it's all said and done because um that's just who we are and and if you go back you know not that long ago 150 years ago we all brought ourselves to work every day because most of us were working in agriculture and there weren't a whole lot of other things to, like that's what you did, right? You sort of woke up and you did this thing. And by that, I mean, globally. And so 
you know, children are underfoot, grandparents were taking care of them. We, we had these integrated lives and we, the, the industrial age separated them out. And I think it's time for the digital age to bring them back together. And we have the tools to be able to do that. I'm, I'm carrying around a supercomputer in my pocket and I've got perfect connectivity almost anywhere on the globe. So why do I need to be fixed in one place to be able to conduct the work and still be productive? And at the same time, I can be quickly transition to being engaged and present as a parent, as a child, as a sibling, as a whatever. So I think we need to use our technology for good to do a better job at bringing these pieces together. I love it. Thank you both very much. It kind of gives a new, you know, everything we've gone through this last year kind of gives a new meaning to business travel to what you just said, Scott, you know, if we can work from anywhere and we can do it from anywhere. And if we're, you know, really integrating our lives and uh, that, that, it, that becomes an interesting shift. Um, that's a whole, I could be a whole other discussion. Sorry to bring that up late in the game, but no, no I'll just, I'll just quickly add to time. it. I'll just quickly add to it. I think you're right. I think that what it's opened up is the fact that I can take a business trip and I can do two or three zoom meetings while I'm wherever I am. Right. So going to that place where there's an in-person meeting, I'm not necessarily leaving a bunch of things behind. And I actually think the patterns might open up to say, you know what, maybe I'm going to make that trip a little bit longer to create some space where I can work productively from where that is. And that opens up all kinds of new possibilities. We were already seeing pre-pandemic leisure, the mix of business and leisure trips, right? I'm going to stay over the weekend, right? So though that notion of things, and if most companies, many companies go fully remote, you're, you've got a lot of costs in your infrastructure that you don't have anymore. You're not, you're not spending up hundreds of thousands of dollars in office space. And so I think all of this is up for grabs for a lot of knowledge workers that could really open up the way that we think about engaging in, in work and the travel piece of it is one piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you both again very much. Um, this was a, just a really wonderful conversation. Uh, I think there's a lot that we can pull from this and I think that the audience will learn from this. So thank you. Thank you, Nicole, as always. And, and thank you audience for tuning in. Um, a higher future, check it out, links in the bios and descriptions and all that. So thank you again. Take care, everybody. Bye. Thanks.